Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Reverend Art of FolkConjure.com, located in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. In just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-host, Nagashiva Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjureman of ConjuremanConsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by a special guest, Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, bringing us today's Oracle Hour topic on floriography. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as devised and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first let's catch up with our co-hosts, Conjurman and Nagashiva Ironwood. Over to you, Conjurman. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, we I am very excited for today's topic. Welcome to all of you who are joining us on this fine Sunday afternoon. I hope that you are well and welcome to April, though I have to say uh, this has been a spring that has not really felt like spring yet. Hopefully, April will start to bring us a little bit of the the seasons. Uh, as far as I'm aware, practically every time we've talked about spring so far, we've talked about how rainy it's been or stormy it's been, whether we're talking about the East Coast or the West Coast or down south or down north, whichever cardinal direction you please, we've been talking about some disastrous, disastrous uh, weather. So it has been... Uh, something of an interesting spring. Hopefully, this topic today, which is very much in line with the season, will inspire inspire the spirits of spring to come out of their hiding and end the, the winter, though it is quite lovely today in Southern California. I hope that you are all doing well. I hope that you are having an interesting spring. I do want to give a few updates before we turn over to our co-hosts and see how they're doing today. First, uh, if you haven't been following the news, it has been a very eventful week. Uh, the former president and wannabe uh, Mango Mussolini, that is known as Donald Trump, has been indicted on Yay! charges in New York. Uh, <laughs> they hear some cheers from the gallery. Uh, it's a bit surprising in that... Uh, you know, not if we do, the the legal system doesn't always work to bring justice against the powerful and the elite. So when it does, every once in a while, if the gears start to move in that direction, it is welcome. Uh, for some people, it was a shock and a surprise. <gasps> How did it happen? For the rest of us, it was more a matter of why did it take this long? I don't think I've ever 
seen a person in my lifetime so brazenly break the law at every turn. I mean, his entire career is about breaking the law, from 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 the segregation crap that he pulled at his properties, where the Department of Justice had to sue him for civil rights violations, to the number of financial crimes he's committed his entire life. Uh, it is it has been a long time coming, so it is quite interesting to see that all happen and play out. You can certainly bet that the next few months are going to get interesting, to say the least. Um, but in addition to that, it has been uh, also a very difficult week in regards to uh, the United States. America continues to be a pretty uh, violent place, I should say, and perhaps it's not the best uh, tone to begin our spring episode, but I think it is important to highlight that we continue to live in very, very violent times in which even children do not feel safe. Uh, so if you are a root worker, if you are a spirit worker, this is really an opportunity to step up and be there for your community, to pray for the healing of your community, to light those candles, to reach out and to, and to hold one another and be with one another in communion with one another. Uh, root workers are not just solitary practitioners and merchants that come by the night, sell some wares, and then disappear again. They are members of the community. They're healers. They're doctors. They come from a variety of different backgrounds and fulfill a variety of different functions. Uh, and it is in moments of crisis like, like the ones that we've been experiencing where they really step up, particularly as the voice for the voiceless. So just a reminder that if you are a root worker or a spirit worker of any kind, your primary function, first and foremost, is a healer in that community, whatever that healing is going to look like. With that, let's uh, talk a little bit more about root work. This has been an interesting time for me. I've been doing a lot, a lot of work around planning for people's futures, a lot of interesting future love, future money stuff. All of my clients have been about that. Really about like, I want to, I want to finally find love. I want to finally get the job of my dreams. What can we do to make it happen? So in terms of root work, it's been totally very positive and very uplifting. Let's check in with our co-host, see how he's doing. Do they have any updates about Lucky Mojo Nagashiva? This is, I think, the first time you've stepped into the co-host chair, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, probably, sure. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. Uh, Mangashiva, for those of you that don't know, is the person who makes the entire show run. Without Nagashiva, it is not possible. The amount of work he does behind the scenes is truly extraordinary. And I always feel it very keenly whenever I have to step in and run the board. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know how Nagashiva does all this. So we are very fortunate to have him step into the shoes of Miss Cat. Uh, we have a little bit of a, a chaotic but fun chaotic episode in which people are switching their hats around. Miss Cat is going to be filling in as a guest, bringing us a very cool topic. And now Steve is going to fill in for her as guest co-host. So tell us a little bit about what's new in your world, Nagashiva, or any interesting updates that you have from Nagashiva world or Lucky Mojo world. Oh, it's been a stormy maelstrom here with um, trees falling down in the north um, that we've had to manage uh, before they hit structures or automobiles, and I've, so I've got a tree service who's been taking care of them. I've discovered that the uh, acacia tree is the monolith monster of the vegetative kingdom, and uh, because it grows real tall, gets really heavy, and falls over on stuff, and they're re- repeatedly like that. 
Um, we've been also replacing our ISP. Um, so we mm. are happy to move everything that was hosted and everything that was registered away from sonic.net. And I've got somebody here just recently putting in the coax cable around the building and it worked out so that it couldn't be done right away. So that's put off for two weeks. Um, and um, we're preparing for the construction of taxes here. So between all of these things happening at once and the proofreading of books and the construction before the, of the things before mm. the festival, coming up in June. So it's, it's a, a whirlwind of activity, and some of it is um, making things difficult to predict. <laughs> I tell, I tell <laughs> people, people always forget how much work goes into the festival and how, because in addition to doing the festival, you have to run Lucky Mojo, and there's all these other sort of day-to-day -day stuff that's happening. And so the lead-up okay. to Lucky Mojo is always such a, or for the festivals, is always such a hectic time period. I don't, know, I don't think people realize just how much work goes into it. I mean, proofreading, prepping, all these things play a role. And I'm telling you that spring weather has not been spring in any way, shape, or form, where it's down trees or the excessive rains in California. It's been, it's right. been very wild, and, and we're, I'm definitely hoping. I'm like, please give us some temperate spring weather. For the rest of people, no more, no more spring showers. Just give us some, some lovely, warm, temperate weather. Thank you for those updates. Uh, we have a very, very interesting discussion planned for you as our regular Oracle Hour. Now, for people who don't know, once a month at the beginning of the month, we host a special show on the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour known as the Oracle Hour, where we present to you new forms of divination. We discuss traditional forms of divination. We look at global practices around divination. Everything from soothsaying to fortune telling to the works of prophets and oracles is covered in the Oracle Hour. And we've had some really fantastic episodes uh, really covering a variety of different backgrounds. We've talked astrology. We've talked bone readings. We've talked candle readings. We've had some fantastic worldwide divination practices looking at the various divinations from China, for example. Amazing stuff. And today is no different. Miss Cat, in her usual fantastic fashion, has presented uh, a, a topic that is both in line with spring and one that, as far as I can recall, has never been covered before on this radio show or may, may very well have not been covered in other radio shows. It's just not one of those things that people talk about. Floriography or using divination. Now, when we think divination, we sometimes think of very mechanical things like astrology charts on computers or cards that are shuffled. But working with the natural world, whether it's through stones or herbs or roots or, in this case, flowers, is sometimes overlooked. And these natural forms of divination are really an opportunity to connect to the cycles of nature, to connect to the natural world, but also speak to the oldest types of divination, that is, looking for omens and signs and meanings in the world around you, not in the craft that we make, but in the world as it exists. So with that introduction, we're going to bring on Miss Kat, and hopefully she can give us a little bit of an introduction to floriography. Thank you for joining us, Miss Kat. We are so excited to have you as a guest. Tell us a little bit about floriography. Well, um, that's a really good question, 
And um, there's a lot of answers to that question, mm-hmm. what is floriography? Let's go back to um, classical times. And by classical times, I mean the times that you and I know so well and you know better than I. Mm-hmm. This would be the time of the um, the rise of um, literacy in the Levant and then the classical Greek and Roman era. And there was a plethora of deities at that time. This was a time of expanding empires, at which time the um, local regional deities of uh, North Africa, the Levant, and um, Mediterranean Europe were being kind of conflated with each other as empires took over so that one nation's Oh my gosh! You know, one nation's cat goddess became another nation's lion goddess, or one nation's mother goddess had a different name than the other nation's mother goddess, and so these conflations between these deities was very important for literate people to understand as they, you know, as they traveled and as as they went into farther into northern Europe, there were all sorts of regional deities. Well, each of these regional deities has associated with it some other things, such as proper offerings. And these offerings might be proper fruits, meats, flowers, vegetables, whatever was to be given to that deity on that deity's altar. And these were written down very carefully during the classical era by people who were historians, who were um, geographers, who were anthropologists, although that word did not exist then. And they would say, oh, well, these people have a deity, and that deity is embodied in Hawthorne. Or these people have a deity and they venerate apples with this deity. Now, given the fact that plants grow in different climates, the apple of one nation might not be the apple of another. It's often been thought, for instance, that the apple that Eve ate was actually an apricot because that's what grew there. So these ideas of sacred plants, sacred flowers, and sacred minerals as well, were written down in uh, tables of correspondences. And these go back to the classical era. And you know what I'm talking about, uh, Conjurman, right? Absolutely, oh. yeah. We we have whole texts like Pliny, the, uh, Pliny's work on the natural world. Exactly. Pliny is, is our go-to guy. And there's others. And these continue to be written into the Middle Ages. And during the medieval period, there was more of an emphasis on the uh, northern, central and northern European um, ideas. But now they were reducing the number of deities, and they were passing these over to become saints, like the deity Bridget became the Saint Bridget. And there certain towns had certain flowers or certain emblems that were part of their reality. But like the Edelweiss, which means the noble white flower of the Swiss Alps, you can't grow the Edelweiss in Turkey, so it had no meaning there. And um, meanwhile, these these lists just grew and grew and grew. And this was not really thought of as floriography. It was similar to having stones, uh, a lapidary collection for the stones or gems of each sign of the zodiac. These correspondences became very elaborate, and they became the subject of a number of 
of um, collections going on into the Renaissance, and people began to actually make physical collections of these ideas. You know, here's a stone, and here's a mineral, and here's a here's an animal, and here's a flower that goes with this planet, that goes with this sign of the zodiac, that was once this deity before we all became Christians. You know, that kind of thing where they would just arrange these uh, correspondences. Well. This rocked on for centuries, and somehow in the 19th century, in the 1840s, someone decided to abstract Mm -hmm. from all of this the flowers and to just write up the stories of the flowers, how the flowers related to Greek and Roman myth, how the flowers were used in the Bible, how the flowers appeared in their regional areas where they venerated or or given to places of honor in uh, Germanic among Germanic people or you know whatever and meanings were assigned to them and this was uh, started actually in France but the books on floriography which was not even given that name at that time it was called the language of flowers they yep. were very quickly translated into English and then uh, something else happened simultaneously and that was um, the beginning of chromolithography, which is a color printing process, which brought color printing to within everybody's means. Prior to that, if you wanted a book, it would have black and white illos, and you might hire, and the printer might supply, a woman, it was always women, really, who would watercolor the print for you. And so you might have a regular edition with black and white pictures, but you also might have one that was very beautifully watercolored. But when chromolitho printing came in, and this is the name chromo meaning color and litho meaning stone, it was also known as stone lithography, suddenly everyone could have color plates. And chromolithography took off very quickly. And mm. these color plates were printed in Germany and they were shipped and to be inserted. Then they began just importing the stones to England and America along with German people who knew how to use them. And these books on the language of the flowers became very, very, very popular. They were also very expensive books because they were completely filled with color plates. The cheapest little ones might have a list, you know, and it might give you um, the meaning of a flower. Just as an example, I'm going to just give you one, the iris. So iris means um, rainbow, and it, it symbolizes female wisdom and valor and trust and hope and faith. But then there's color symbology because iris meaning rainbow has so many colors, so the yellow iris um, it has a different meaning than the purple iris and so forth. And some of these flowers, like the iris, uh, the yellow iris, appears on the card of temperance and so in the tarot deck. So we know that people went around the time when uh, Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith were designing their tarot, they were also aware of the language of flowers and began to use it. So mm-hmm. by the time of the later Victorian era, people began to uh, actually present each other with bouquets that had secret meanings. Now, there were other secret languages at that time. There was the secret language of stamps, for instance. If you turned a stamp one quarter turn to the right or put it upside down or turned it uh, one quarter turn to the left, it had a meaning. And Mm -hmm. And these were just postage stamps, right? So there were secret languages of all types that were somewhat of a conceit. In other words, people did them for fun, but they were also done very much sincerely and in earnest. Uh, 
So you could send to somebody a bouquet of flowers, and it could be read or decoded according to the language of flowers. You would then send them a reply that would be different flowers. And, you know, like someone might send you a flower that says, you know, I feel the stirrings of love for you. And then you could send them back a flower saying, um, I love you too. Or you could send them back some flowers that said, I reject your proposal. And this was all done very politely. And it was done between Mm -hmm. men and women and between women as friends. I suppose men did it with men, but I don't have any records of that other than if they were gay men. But, But there was a um, a fad of the time for wearing flowers in your clothing, a bouquet, a boutonniere, a corsage. Mm-hmm. So you could actually wear flowers that declared, I am available, or I hate you all, or whatever it might be. <laughs> now, that's the language of flowers. So it isn't as old as um, the classical era where the tables of correspondences existed, but it came into use in the 1840s, and by the 18. 18- mm-hmm. 70s, it was really, really popular. Now, you're going to ask the next question. I'm going to ask it for you. So how does that become an oracle? Mm. Right? Because I'm describing to you a language. Now, we could take a language like astrology, you know, Mercury is communication, and the moon is emotion, and, you know, so. but how does that become an oracle? Well, you look at the sky, and you take a reading off of it. And with the flower oracles, what you can do is use them as signs and omens. Yeah. If you walk out and you see periwinkle, it's a it's a flower of conjugal love because there's always two leaves opposite one another. And mm-hmm. this is very pale bluish periwinkle blue flower and as a sign or an omen it's a sign of faithful marriage. Periwinkle means mm-hmm. faithful marriage. And then you can go a step further and you can actually use intent or what I would call floral spellcasting. What if you want to have a faithful marriage? Periwinkle is very easy to grow. Go out and get some periwinkle and put it on your property. And then when it's blooming, when the flowers are in bloom, you'll be reminded of your vow to faithful and and committed conjugal love. So that's right. floral spell plant uh, casting. You're going to plant those periwinkles um, along your driveway, right? right? And let's say you wanted to express a feeling of oh, independence or a feeling of um, caring for others, or you wanted to show that you are psychic. There's a flower for every one of those things. Mm-hmm. And you could plant those flowers in your garden. So that's spell casting with flowers. Then, once you have them available, you can cut them and make bouquets and give them to people. Right, right. This is fascinating because what we're looking at here is, one, a very ancient system of looking for omens in the natural world, which flowers um, that included various correspondences that then gets revived within a particular historical context in the sort of Victorian era of Europe in which you're trying to convey meaning through flowers. And some of that is built on this much older classical correspondence, as you put it. And we find this also in the Islamic world as well. In fact, there are some who have argued that the language of flowers was in 
inspired first by the tulip craze of the Ottoman Empire. That mm-hmm. the Ottoman Empire during the 18th, the 19th century goes through this tulip craze because tulips in uh, the Islamic language of flowers represent the oneness of God because they sort of form, if you look at them, it sort of forms the word Allah sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they go, this represents the four, this represents oneness. And it led to a sort of flower craze in the Ottoman Empire and the whole symbolism, Ottoman sultans being drawn holding certain flowers representing certain things. For example, if they hold tulips, it's an indication of a person who is deeply committed to the oneness of God. But if they're holding a rose, then they're inclined towards mystical mysteries. And all these different sort of meanings that are depicted, Ottoman sultans would put the flowers in their, in their you know, clothing, in their turbans, in their paintings, and Ottoman women would do the same. That may have inspired to some extent by European travelers a similar language of of flowers that will emerge that really then gets expanded as a form of communication, as a form of hominology. Uh, You rightly pointed out that you can note the flowers that you encounter. I mean, if you're going on a date with someone and they invite you back to their house and they have a certain flower outside of their house that they've planted, that tells you something, right? Like if they've got roses planted outside of their house, you go, okay, that's an omen of something. Or as you pointed out, periwinkle, that means something, right? So you can use the language of flowers as an omen. Like if you're meeting someone and the table in front of you has a bouquet of flowers, you can read the bouquet of flowers and that tells you how that meeting will go, how that date will go, how that encounter will go. You go into somebody's office and they've got a painting of flowers you look at what flowers they've got painted. Is it a, is it an, would that be an indication of something? Does that tell you something about who they are? So there's really a lot of versatility. People might go, oh, flowers, how, how much can you possibly read with them? A lot. There's a great deal of versatility to this. I want to ask another uh, Shiva a little bit here so that we can get him into this conversation. What is your uh, experience with the language of flowers or floriography? Is it something that you take note of or aware of? Or are there certain flowers that you were drawn to and that have significance for you? I was completely unaware of it. Not until Catherine introduced me to it. Um, there mm. were certain flowers that I like, uh, and those were primarily ones with large petals, um, roses mm. especially, but others that are multiply colored, um, irises and, and uh, the dragon, uh, tiger lilies and things of that kind that are vibrantly colored, and um, mm. I don't always know what their meanings are, but I find them compelling. Oh, that's interesting. Flowers that you were drawn to. Well, I have to say that since I began this project, the Floral Oracle, or the Language of Flowers, which I've been working on Mm. for a while, um, Shiva has certainly helped me. Um, He's been doing an awful lot of um, uh, scanning and uh, color correcting and working on these images of flowers. Um, Some of you know that I read at Hoodoo Psychics every Friday and Saturday. And we started off with like 26 flowers, and that wasn't enough, so we went to, um, we doubled that. And we're going to end up with 104 flowers. And um, those are going to be put out. I've been putting them out with my Patreon uh, supporters. It's called the Floral Oracle. But eventually it'll all be compressed into one 
Floral Oracle, and it'll be available at my website, yourweightandfate.com. And Nagashiva and I work on yourweightandfate.com pretty um, regularly for patrons, and then you can you know, sign up for $2 a week and you can get it. And that will have eventually the entire floral oracle with the meanings written out. Usually in floriography books, the meanings are very short. You'll get, you know, yeah. five to 20 words, usually five to eight words. This um, means and they'll this. just be yeah, lines of very straightforward. Yeah. yeah. But there's so much more to it. And I made an effort to correspond them with their, where they appear in the tarot cards, where they appear mm. in song, um, and, of course, their classical um, links to deities and demigods and goddesses. So there's an mm-hmm. awful lot of chat. Aisha, uh, Aya, Asha Aya, it's a hard one to say, says, my favorite is the lotus. And that is known mm-hmm. in uh, English usually as the water lily. And that right. indeed has a meaning. And that brings up a whole other issue. How can you give a person a gift of a water lily in a bouquet? Well, the answer is you cannot. But that doesn't stop it from having a meaning. And so some of the flowers that are given are not in bouquets. They are given in as potted plants. You know, how you get a potted plant from the florist, and they wrap it around with a little bit of, of a colored foil and a ribbon, and you give mm-hmm. them a potted, potted plant as a gift. And others will only be seen in the wild. But you'd be surprised, because the language of flowers, for instance, includes dead leaves. And you're thinking, yeah. why would you give somebody dead leaves? That's kind of creepy weird. Um, and it's not considered a flower, um, but it is possible to put it in, and it means sadness and depression and acquiescence or reluctant acknowledgement of the withered ending of a once-blooming relationship. And so you can send, you know, you, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, floral arrangements with some, some flowers and then a bunch of dead leaves in, you know, yep. on their stalks. Yep. Right. Very artistic, very weird, yep. and that's what it means, sadness and depression. So the meanings of these flowers are sometimes very evident. Another one that we see very often it's used in bouquets, but it's not a flower. Is the fern, mm-hmm. and it's sometimes called filler. You know, the filler fern. It just makes the bouquet look prettier, but it actually um, is a, a symbol of magical fascination, humility, modest confidence, safe shelter, sincerity, the secret bonds of love, new life, and new beginnings. So that's a lot of meanings packed into this fern. And there are many kinds of fern. The maidenhair fern is a female. The male fern, well, the name tells you it's male. So the more that you know about this, the more you'll understand. And ferns that are neither male fern nor maidenhair fern are associated with gender non-binary mercury and the element of air, the planet Mercury. And they they are considered gender non-binary because they reproduce by spores, not by flowers. Right. So the fern is a very good symbol for people who um, wish to associate as gender non-binary. So these ideas are deep. They're not just been mm-hmm. made up from by some new age people. These go back a long, long way. Right. And what we're talking about here is, is the versatility of doing. Of conveying meaning, of interpreting meaning simultaneously. 
you don't mm-hmm. always see that in divination, right? Like, unless you're gifting someone a tarot card, it isn't always easy to convey meaning through the tarot. You can certainly interpret meaning, right? But unless mm-hmm. you're incorporating some form of symbolism, it's hard to do. On the other hand, you can interpret the meaning of, of flowers, but you can also convey that meaning in the bouquet. I mean, if nothing else, up your flower game <laughs> with Floriography. <laughs> if, you, if you sign up for this, if you sign up for the Patreon, if you sign up for the website, if you start reading and learning about this, you're upping your flower game. And let me tell you a little <laughs> secret. If you, if you up your flower game, like if you go from – this is like a, a, one of the things I've always taught my clients – is try to make custom flower arrangements rather than mm-hmm. buy a set like oh, I'm going to buy you this thing and then hand it to you. If you can, and it, it takes just a little bit of work, it takes a little bit of, of learning. But if you make your own, like I'm going to put a little bit of this, I'm going to put this, and you make a custom arrangement that you then give as a gift. And let me tell you, the extra credit points that that person <laughs> are one of, this is about upping your flower game. And again, this is what's so fascinating about floriography. And I want us to take a moment to talk about a little bit more about these different flowers and these different meanings because you could interpret with it. If you see it, if you encounter it, that's an omen. There's an interpretation there. But you can also actively tap into that symbolism by giving that flower, by planting that flower, by including it. Like, let's say you have guests coming over to your house, the bouquet that you arrange is now a magical act. It's mm-hmm. a magical act that does something for that event, that does something for your house. In the same way that if you were going over to somebody's house and you see a bouquet, that bouquet is a divination. So the way that this works at both ends as a magical act and as a divination makes it in many ways really unique and it speaks to the organic quality of, of the material, of flowers. Mm-hmm. I do want to say yeah. that lilies that lilies and lotuses, and then I'm going to turn this over to you so that you can give us a few, just a few of these flowers, because we've only talked about a couple. But I want to mention that the two, that um, lilies uh, or, or lotuses in the Ottoman and Islamic interpretation uh, are interpreted as prayer mats, because they look like mats that have been placed onto the water, so they represent prayer and devotion, which is quite interesting. Uh, Miss Kat, can you give us a few, just sort of rapid, because there's a couple minutes here, of interpretation. We know about the rose, we've heard about uh, periwinkle, we heard about lotus and tulip. Mm-hmm. What are some other common flowers that people might encounter and their meaning? Okay. Well, I'm going to make a link here to hoodoo, the magnolia. Um, it symbolizes faithful married love. And yeah. these are huge flowers, and they grow often on the Magnolia Grandiflor, which is a huge tree that's yeah. also known as the large flowered magnolia or southern tree magnolia. And these flowers are a symbol of faithful marriage, but in hoodoo, it's the leaves that are used, not the flower petals. And they are placed um, mm-hmm. between the box spring and mattress to ensure fidelity. So the, the meaning carries across. Some of these um, ideas are, are well known in hoodoo and in other forms of folk magic, like garlic. Now, again, people don't think of garlic mm-hmm. as a flower, but garlic is always included in the language of flowers. And it is um, a, a works against the evil eye. It repels the evil eye and repels you know, werewolves and vampires and witchcraft. And it's also medically valuable and it also smells good in food and it reduces blood pressure and lowers hypercholesterol and strengthens the immune system and 
and it's an antibiotic. So obviously it has medical and magical uses, and it appears in Four Thieves Vinegar, for instance. So mm. you can give somebody a gift of garlic on a braid. Now, another thing that we haven't really touched on is you don't actually have to give somebody actual flowers. You can buy greeting cards that have certain flowers yeah. on them. Right, you can buy when you go to buy greeting cards that have you know little birds and flowers and children or whatever they're going to have. Check out what flowers are on them, and mm-hmm. make sure that the card you sent has the meaning you want. And the other one is memes on social media. So if you're going to put out a meme and you're thinking, oh, I need some flowers for this thing, pick the ones that convey the meaning that you want. There may not be everybody in the world will understand what you just said, but there will be people who did. And you can create a message within a message. And again, color of the flower does have a meaning. Like Heather Mm -hmm. uh, comes in purple, pink, lavender, and white. Only the white Heather is the Heather of good luck. And it is said to grow only on land where no blood has been shed. And it's very, very lucky in Scotland. But if you can't grow heather, a picture of heather may help. And, of course, the purple, pink, and lavender heather has to do with admiration. And But it also means the solitude that comes to those who live apart mm-hmm. from the crowd. Mm, that's interesting. The colors of roses and flowers also play a role. Don't be miscast. Yes, yes, exactly. The yellow rose of Texas. <laughs> the yellow rose, yellow often stands for jealousy in flower language. And so the yellow rose is a jealous um, love. And the pink rose is, of course, a new romantic love. And there are some uh, roses that are very unusual, like the Banksia rose or Lady Banks rose, which blooms all along its canes instead of in clusters at the tip. And it is... Um, really an amazing um, rose that has sweetness and love, but it's also kind of exotic and only grows in warm climates. The red rose, of course, is the general gift for a dating gift. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a sexual expectation. The red rose bud is an expectation. Mm-hmm. And there are others. You can also give, you know, make a floral bouquet with rose hips, which signify good health. So, yeah, the color has a really strong meaning for some of these. And others, like the sunflower, has become the symbol of the entire spiritualist movement. You know, the spiritualist churches of the National Spiritualist Association of Churches, NSAC, Mm -hmm. which is one of a number of denominations of spiritualist churches, they use the sunflower as their emblem to um, indicate that um, life continues after death. And uh, it's a sign of optimism, and it appears in the card of the sun and the card of the queen of wands, just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, you mentioned this before, and I think it is really overlooked, is that these flowers and symbols do appear in the tarot. There yes. are a lot of, of, of flower images in the tarot, and I think it, they sometimes get overlooked that they themselves have specific meanings that can be tied to things like the language of flowers. That's right. And at the time when the um, Pamela Coleman-Smith was working, she was very conscious of the language of flowers. Yeah. It's pretty 
obvious. Um, there was a woman named Kate Greenaway who uh, did children's books around that time period, too. And mm-hmm. She drew them in an early Victorian style, a sort of nostalgic style, but she was a little later. But her stuff looks early Victorian, and she did a whole book on the language of flowers mm-hmm. um, with very pretty illos. I've published uh, a number of postcard sets on the language of flowers, little children dressed in clothing made of flowers, and also the meanings. And again, some of these are available at your weight and fate, and those that are not yet available are going to become available when, um, you know, when the um, Patreon hold time is over. Thank you very much for this fantastic discussion. I'm very excited to, to learn more about this. Uh, we are now going to be turning over to our callers. We're going to have a brief announcement, and they're going to see a little bit of floriography. So this is going to be an exciting, exciting show. <laughs> okay, we'll give it a try. <laughs> Stay tuned. The Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour with their hosts, Conjurman and Nagashiva Ironwood. And this week's special guest, Catherine Ironwood, will be right back. We'll be taking calls from our listeners, answering their questions through spiritual divination and prescribing down-home conjure remedies and remediation. Our calling clients are selected from among those who have filled out a short questionnaire at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com. You can listen to the show online through Blog Talk Radio or via telephone by dialing 818-394-8535. If you've filled out a client questionnaire at the forum and you have not already done so, please dial in now to 818-394-8535 and press 1 to let us know that you're available to be on the air. We'll select callers by their area code, and if your area code is announced, we'd like you to say hello and let me, your announcer, Reverend Art, read a brief description of your situation before turning it over to our host. Now it's time to go to the phones and take our first caller, which will be I, Patricia. Hi. Hi. Okay, so I, Patricia, writes, I am in a moral injury group. I want to know if this group is where I should cast my pearls on. Can I help them, the other women in the group, with my gifts and return and in return help myself or not? Take it away, Conjurman. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you, for I, Patricia, for entrusting us with your situation. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I am going to do your uh, first reading, followed by uh, Miss Cat, and then uh, followed by, I'm sorry, by, uh, yeah, by Miss Cat, and then we're going to jump in together and give you some root work advice. Uh, so you're going to get a bit of a tag team from both of us here, which is going to be great because we were going to give you all sorts of ideas. So first, let me ask a couple questions. What is your sign of the zodiac? Aquarius. Aquarius, okay. Uh, and you said this is a, a group that deals with, this is a, a sort of group therapeutic sort of idea is it what we're looking at or yes. uh, some type of service? Okay, good. I just wanted to clarify that. So I, I was actually, asked to participate. Okay, great. I I have uh, some roses, some flowers with me, um, as well as, and when I found out that it was floriography, I grabbed some, some herbs and a variety of different things. So what I'm going to do now, it's, it's not everything, obviously, found in the language of flowers. I only have a handful here, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of put, I've placed them in uh, a small cloth, and I've folded this cloth 
but there's enough space that I can reach my hand in and pull out. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull something out from here, and then I'm going to interpret it. I'm going to draw heavily from uh, early modern almanacs in this interpretation, as well as some of the Islamic sources. So it's going to have a slightly different meaning here. Uh, so I'm going to reach in, and I'm just going to sort of move my hands around. My hands are going to smell really nice after this. And I'm going to pull out and see what I have. Okay, so the first one in my hand is dried rosemary. It's just a small rosemary stick that I've, I've placed in here. Rosemary in both the European tradition and in the Islamic tradition is about remembrance but it's specifically about remembrance that has some type of healing component, some type of restorative component. It is related to the ability to restore, to remember the things that have happened, to remember and from that memory have healing. It has an incredibly powerful effect. It is a great representative of a leader among the herbs and plants of the world, but is a leader different from what we imagine, the sort of solar leader that charges forth with sword in hand and conquers and defeats. It's a different type of leadership. It's a leadership that is collaborative. It is a leadership that is cooperative. It is a leadership that uplifts, which is why we often say in Hudu that Rosemary empowers mothers and the women of the household because their leadership is about bringing the family together. It's not about being the head of the household. It's about bringing the family and working as a cohesive unit. It's about respecting the authority of the woman in that role. So this is a particularly good omen here. It is an indication that there can be healing, that there can be acts of community building, acts of bringing together, of collaboration, if you center the idea of remembering and healing. I'm going to reach in again, so I'm going to set this rosemary mm. aside, and my hands smell like rosemary. Now I'm smelling them, and it smells wonderful. I'm going to reach in and see if I can grab something else. I'm going to move my hands around and try not to pick something based off of the feel of it because I know, I'll know what it is right off the bat. I'm going to pull this out. Okay, and I have a small, uh, I have a thing that Miss Cat hates to smell. I have sage in my hands. Uh, <laughs> it is a very small piece of sage. It's actually a sage that has been broken off a little bit. Okay. This sage is an indication of wisdom and insight, but it is a sage that will require connection. Because it is broken, it means that there's an element of incompleteness, or it, the wisdom is incomplete, and it can only be completed through the Rosemary's act of collaboration, of bringing together, of working in groups, of working in harmony. Only in community can wisdom truly be flourishing and experience on its own it may be isolated, fragmented, and fractured. So this is a rosemary that is slightly broken, so it would indicate, I mean, this is a sage that is slightly broken. So we would interpret this as saying, okay, there is but that wisdom can only be found if there's some form of connection that, that happens, that some form of community building that happens here. Okay, I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to reach in again, and we're going to see... If I can, I'm going to just kind of move my hands around a little bit. Just move my hands a little bit. I'm going to pull out, and I have chamomile, a dried chamomile. So this is, I have dried chamomile in the house, which I usually make for tea. It's beautiful. It also smells quite lovely. Chamomile here is an indication of 
patience, an indication of the serenity of the mind. All of these are very good indications that the work that you are being asked to do or the work that you are being drawn to do can bring benefit to both the self and to the community, that it can bring healing, that it can bring wisdom, that it can bring uplifting, but that it will require some element of connecting with others some element of patience on your part. There's likely going to be some bumps along the road and some perhaps false starts. Be patient in this as it may be slow moving, but the overall outcome is incredibly positive and the omens seen in what I pulled out here are good. With that, I'm going to turn this over to Miss Cat, who's going to do your next reading. Okay. That was ingenious and and wonderful, Contraband. I love the way you did that. <laughs> that was really thank good. Thank you, thank you. Um, now, what I'm going to do is something a little different. I've been working on this floral oracle, and you all have seen parts of it in my Hoodoo Psychics advertisements every week. But I have created, with Nagashiva's help, a web page which has, oh, more than 100 of these um, flowers on it. And so what I'm going to do is sort of like spin the wheel. Um, if you all know what a web page looks like, at the right-hand side there's a track bar. It has a little point that shows you where you are in the page. And if you go to the top, you're at the top. And if you go to the bottom, you're at the bottom. And I'm simply going to go to the top, start, and I'm going to do this three times. And I'm going to drag down, whoop, and what I get first um when it comes to, I just stopped at random, dead leaves, sadness, depression, and acquiescence. So this is a very difficult, um, the moral injury group does deal with some difficult issues. And, yes. um, and part of this is acquiescence in sadness and depression. There's going to be people who have PTSD. There's going to be people who have... Uh, not done what they thought was the best thing they should have done. And so this is um, about um, witnessing, but also there's some sadness. So being with this group of people, um, you might find it is a, a there's going to be a, a magnification of your own sadness and depression. And you really are going to have to consider how much help that will be to you um, but you may be of great help to others. It's it's kind of an acknowledgement of things that are difficult. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? Yes. And it also can, dead leaves can represent the past and that which is leaving so that we uh, would want to close out that part of life and um, and help others too also close out the depressing parts of their lives that um, having witnessed difficult and immoral things and how that will play out for their lives. Okay, now I'm going to just run my scroll bar again and I get mint. Mint is has flowers, but they're not very conspicuous. But mint is used in the language of flowers because it's very fragrant. And the meaning of it is virtue, cleansing, and protection. So this says that working with this group is going to be very cleansing. Mint eases nausea. It calms anxiety. It helps clear up coughs. 
And it's also used to flavor less appealing herbal remedies. This is very important. If something is bitter, mint is so strong that it will conceal that bitterness. And so there is going to be, uh, in the group that you're talking about joining, there are going to be people who are bitter. But the cleansing power of mint is such that you can bring some uplift. And mint is also protective. In hoodoo, it's used to protect a place and to cleanse it. And there are many species of mint, So, but I'm thinking of peppermint or spearmint. Right? So it's a very interesting herb here, and it tells me also that you should um, consider the mind. And I'll tell you why I say that. If you crush mint and inhale it, it's very strong. And one of the things that's been discovered recently is that people who are on the road to getting Alzheimer's begin to lose their sense of smell. And the last smell that usually leaves is mint. They can still smell mint even as they begin to suffer from dementia. So mint has something about it that just drives through into the brain and stimulates the memory of its smell. Very interesting herb and one that um, I think is powerful. And now I'm going to just scroll up and down. Whoopsie. And I have now sage. Now that's interesting. Now we have a, what in Tarot would be called a repeater card. Right? Mm-hmm. Because Conjurman got sage. So sage is wisdom. And it also stands for immortality. In the language of flowers, it has the additional meaning of I think of you. It's a, a witness. And it is used for energy clearing, although some people like me are allergic to it. Um, it is a member of the mint family. And that includes rosemary, lavender, catnip, oregano, dittany of Crete, thyme, and many other herbs, basil, and so forth. But it is a particular one used for wisdom. To say that a person is a sage, that they have a sage mind, that means they're wise. So you can bring to this group wisdom and help it to sustain itself. Okay? So... That's my bouquet for you, just gotten by, um, I guess you could say, just a, a, a dial of the <laughs> of the cursor, as it were. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Right. Okay, that's fantastic. I think. Yeah. We're now we're going to try to go to some some root work. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to try to do some root work. Uh, we're gonna. I'm going to start off with some advice. Miss Kat's going to jump in. Nagashiva, if you have um, advice as well, feel free to jump in as well as our guest co-hosts. If you have any additions, so that we can have all three of us sort of coming together and bringing uh, some advice in this regards. Um, because I saw some of those dead leaves there, I do think that, or as Miss Kat pointed out, the dead leaves. Um, I think an ancestor altar is going to be good here. You need to reach out to the ancestors because community is built between not just the living, but the living and the dead. And that's going to be an important spiritual support network. As you're participating in a communal support system, you want a spiritual support system that also has your back here. So I dedicate a small space 
that is going to be for your ancestors. And I want you to start this off by cleansing with Florida water, which is great to cleanse, but it also draws in spirits in the Afro-Caribbean tradition as well as in hoodoo found in the Gulf and in Florida and in North Carolina. You're going to find a lot of Florida water used to draw in spirits to feed them, but it has a cleansing ability. The way I would do this is actually take a bundle of mint, since Miss Cat saw that, Wrap this little fresh bundle, uh, tie it off, make a little bit of bundle, and then dip that into the Florida water and sprinkle it around the space as spurge. And this will be a great way of cleansing the space and drawing in spirits. Then place a white cloth onto that surface. Set a small candle holder with a white candle. Put a cup of water. You can even place the sprig of mint on that table itself. It's a great, powerful spiritual ally here. And then place whatever sacred text you have in your tradition. If it's the Bible, the Psalm, the Quran, whatever it is, the Bhagavad Gita, whatever the sacred text is, you might want to place it there. If you don't have one, you don't need to. You can put your own prayers. But I want you to every day, every week for the, the time that you're doing this, build a practice of praying to your ancestors and keep that day. It can be on a Sunday or it can be on a Monday. Those are two really good days to work with ancestors. Pray and ask that your ancestors come to you to bring you guidance, to bring you help. And then be mindful of your dreams as you do this work as they will come and speak to you in your dreams. Miss Cat, what do you have to add? Well, I love the idea of using the dead leaves as having to do with ancestors and the past. That's a really, really good use for them. Um, and I, I, everything you said makes a lot of sense to me. I would say that um, one of the things you can do also is take these um, flowers and plants that we mentioned, and um, you can blend them together. Even the dead leaves, um, you can put them in a mortar and pestle and make yourself a little sprinkle with them dried. And that would be um, useful to you um, if you deal with these people. Is this primarily going to be online or in person? Oh, the group is online. Okay. I'm already I'm already in it. Mm-hmm. You're already I'm the in. oldest okay. one in it, <laughs> which okay. I don't understand why they selected me, but... Being the oldest, I think that's why, because these ladies are very young. Uh-huh. Well, that ex- that's also explains why some of the sage is there. So I would yeah. take all of those herbs we mentioned, get them in, in, in flowers that we mentioned, and get them in dried form if you can, and okay. um, make your, powder them up or grind them up in a mortar and pestle or a coffee grinder. Make yourself a little sprinkle. And uh, you might want to... Um, just you know, use that as a little candle dressing or dust. Um, when you're connecting with the group, um, you could have a little, um, you know, a little smell of that. The mint will be the mm-hmm. strongest. Sage will be the next strongest. And I, I think that that chamomile is, was one of them too. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. And, that's uh, correct. Yeah, yeah that's chamomile. Is also, a very strong smell. Yeah, and rosemary. Very, so, yeah. And, it, yeah, and rosemary is for like remembrance. It. So just take a whiff of that, you know, take an inhale of that. Make Maybe make a little sachet bag and squeeze the bag and smell before you go to type. Remind you of what your position is with these people as the wise elder. Wow. That was really wow, fascinating. We, <laughs> really cool. Yeah, and we, we right up yeah, yeah. onto our 
our music. So thank you for that. Thank you for entrusting us with your situation. Thank you for this very cool reading. Matt, we're going to have a quick break and then move on to our next caller. Provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com. And by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call 1-888-4-HOODOO or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's second client. Our second client of the day is Tressie calling in from area code 832 in Texas. Tressie, are you with us? I am. Can you hear me? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Okay, and you've indicated you've had no readings on this situation previously. Is that correct? No, I haven't even done, like, a little candle or anything at all because I'm a little confused on the situation. Okay, well, Tressie writes, seeking advice on how to perform a crown of success ritual for success in undergrad, graduating in May, and getting full tuition approval for a doctorate program. So far, full funding for graduate level has been approved, and I must persuade them to fund the entire doctoral program. Over to you, Conjurman. Thank you for that. Uh, well, first, you've come to the, the right place as a person who's gone through the academic system. Uh, I'm going to ask you for a couple clarifying questions, and then we're going to have Miss Cat do your first reading. I will do your second, and then we'll jump in together to give you some more work advice. Uh, first, uh, your, first of all, congratulations for making it through your undergraduate and your graduating in just a month. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. That is a fantastic accomplishment. Make sure that you spend some time celebrating that and enjoying that before diving full on into graduate program. So as I understand it, you are interested in pursuing a doctoral program, but you said you have received some funding, but you're hoping to receive full funding for the doctoral program. Is that correct? Yes. They approved the funding for the graduate program because they said, well, to do the job, all you need is a graduate degree. But everybody knows, you know, like, if you have a doctorate, then you are can be self-employed, you can be more. So when you say graduate degree, you mean master's degree, right? Yes. Okay, okay. And what industry is this in, if you don't mind me asking? Or what field? It's acupuncture school. Oh, it's an acupuncture school. Okay, so that's what the reason I was asking this is it's pretty unusual to not get full doctoral funding. A uh, doctoral uh, program is fundamentally a training program, and so they have to pay for it. Uh, there, as far as I'm aware, there's no real doctoral program that doesn't fully fund it. So the question is, what industry I and your industry or in your field, they say acupuncture, master's is all you need. No, you don't want to go on to a doctoral. But the reality is a doctoral program can bring you more money, and it can help elevate your career. So that's what we're asking. How do we get to... Uh, first, what are the chances of, of you getting into a doctoral program and getting it fully funded? 
Um, and then what are some strategies, crown of success, money drawing work that we can help along those lines? So with that clarification, let's turn this over to Ms. Kat, who's going to do your first reading about the potentials of going beyond just a master's and this doctoral program. All right. Now, um, this is going to be whether what, what your chances are and maybe directing us in some direction toward help with the work because we start with divination and then we move to root work. Okay? So I'm going to do what I did the last time. I've got a web page with over 100 flowers with their pictures and I'm going to just use my scroll bar randomly, right? And it's going to uh, give me an, an, an answer. So I just whoosh, scrolled, and the first one I've got is dandelion. Now, dandelion is a weed, and people think, oh, my gosh, it's just a weed. But it has beautiful yellow flowers, and it stands for optimism and hope. And it's particularly optimism and hope in times of negativity or low energy, because just as the dandelion is considered you know, a worthless weed and grows low down, it breaks through barriers. You see it coming up through the sidewalk. It spreads its happiness. It's always cheerful. And um, it makes its little seeds in those little puff balls and spreads everywhere in the winds. So this says, send your wishes into the wind. It's a very optimistic outcome. You will have success with dandelion for sure. Dandelion root tea enhances psychic abilities. And it can also be used, uh, the tea can be used for laundering bed sheets and pillowcases to bring psychic dreams. So I'm thinking here that dandelion is a, a, a helper for you, going to give you optimism and hope, and you will be able to, to um, get that funding. Now I'm going on to number two. It's also very, um, in Chinese medicine, it's a very important plan. So when you, it, it connects. <laughs> Thank oh, you. that's good. That's great. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. That's, that's wonderful. See, this is where I, when I see things like this, it, it, these things connect around the world, and they often connect medically, and then they connect emotionally, spiritually, and in terms of uh, symbolism. Okay, the next one I have is jasmine. Now, jasmine's a, a symbolic of psychic visions, and it also means pure love and meaningful dreams because it blooms at night and therefore represents astral travel and dream visitations. This would indicate doing some sort of spell work that had influence work and was possibly done with a, a candle or a fragrance or a perfume in the night. And um, jasmine is used in incense quite a lot. Um, in India, there's a lot of jasmine incense. And it's um, really is a, a psychic and um, and spiritual scent. And it's usually done uh, when you're working with jasmine in a spell, it's often done when the moon is full because the white flowers of jasmine blooming in the night stand out in the light, the light when the moon is full. So now we're talking about a spell leading up to the full moon and it might include um, uh, jasmine. Okay? And the third one, I'm just going to scroll again, scroll up, scroll down, and I have, huh, azalea. So azalea is a flower that blooms on a shrub. You hardly ever would find it in a bouquet, but it's uh, a beautiful shrub that's just covered with these beautiful azalea flowers. 
And it stands for feminine beauty, elegance, abundance, because they have so many flowers, temperance, and nurturing. And it is um, usually enjoyed out of doors. It's not usually a cut flower. And it is um, annual symbol of springtime, late spring, early spring, depending on where you live. And it really is about being nurturing and being nurtured. So it's really a great one. Again, what I'm seeing here is that you have a great idea for success. And the azalea is um, a flower that grows as a shrub. As I said, if you can plant an azalea in your yard or in a potted plant, it would be very valuable for you in that regard. So those are my um, three flowers for you. Now, um, I'm going to uh, turn this over to Contraman. Thank you, Mr. That was very interesting. Um, I'm going to do uh, the same thing I did last time. I've put back all my uh, flowers and plants back into this little package. It's quite literally a white cloth, and it has all, all the the plants, and or not all, but as many plants and, and herbs that I could have found when I found out that the, we were doing floriography. It doesn't have all of it, and unlike Miss Cat's uh, fantastic encyclopedia there, where there's like hundreds, uh, we only have a few, so there are some limitations, but it's got everything, and it's folded up, and I can't see it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach my hand in, and I'm going to sort of move around and then pull something out and see what it is. Okay, so the first thing that I've pulled out is a white rose. Now, I should note that I only had white rose uh, with me. Uh, this is because I didn't have any other bouquets. I didn't have any red roses, but I picked up white rose, surprisingly, last week. And so it, it ended up in this little uh, herb and, and plant bundle of mine. So I've pulled this out here, and you will go, oh, well, since it's only a white rose, then Maybe it's just an accident. No, no. In divination, we think all things are linked together. So there was a reason why I only picked white rose. There's a reason why that ended up in this mixture. It indicates to me that your intentions here are good. It is an indication that your pursuit is noble. This is not about love. It's about wisdom. It's about learning. It's about growth. Your intentions here are good and they shall be viewed in a favorable light because we have here this white rose. So this is incredibly good sign. I'm going to reach out and again get around and around and see what I get and I have a dandelion. This is a dry <laughs> dandelion. Um, so this is fascinating. Again. It's come up, up twice. I love it. Now, in the, tradition, in the tradition that I work with, dandelion, in addition to psychic abilities, is also known for luck matters. Um, and we've done it, particularly in Virginian Conjure, when you make a bath of it, it's for luck. You can also even hang a dandelion from the neck, and it's considered to be lucky. So some type of working around dandelion, in fact, maybe perhaps placing it on an altar or including it in a lucky hand or including it in a success hand, really good because the fact that it's shown up now in Miss Cat's and in mine and you have a connection to it in traditional Chinese medicine is all incredibly positive. So we're just going to take dandelion as a good omen here. We're going to go, okay, this is a really positive omen. It wants to be a spirit ally here. It wants to be of some type of assistance. So we're going to put our trust in dandelion. Okay. I'm going to reach in again and I'm going to move around and I'm going to pull out. This feels like a leaf as I'm pulling. Yes, it's a dried bay leaf. 
I didn't have a bay tree, but I included a couple bay leaves in here uh, as well. So this is a bay leaf that I've pulled out. Bay indicates success and victory, particularly in academic matters. It is, uh, can represent the laurels that are granted to a person who has achieved and accomplished what they desire and is placed upon their head. This is a sign that you will be successful, that you will get what you want, that you will be able to get into the doctoral program that you desire, that you will be able to get the funding for the doctoral program that you want. I would do some type of working that includes dandelion, that includes bay here, because both of these indicate to me strong success for you. This is a clear answer. Who would to say if we were to ask it a sort of yes or no question, will you get the doctoral funding you hoped for in the Bay is very definitive. Yes, you will get it. So I feel very confident that this will go to the way that you want. However, victory comes with hard work. Victory comes with the planting of the seeds, the nurturing of those seeds, the watering of them, the cultivating and then harvesting. So it's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a little bit of magical work on your end, but you will be successful here. All three of these taken together uh, indicate good results and a good outcome. Your intentions are in the right place. You have current plant allies that are looking to work and assist you here, like dandelion, and you have a clear indication of victory. So what we're going to do now is design root work for you. We're going to actually have Miss Cat, and she did our first reading, come in and give you some root work advice, and then I'm going to jump in and add my own. And if Nagashiva has any thoughts, he's also welcome to join us as our guest co-host if you want to add anything. So let's turn this over to Miss Cat and see if she can give you some root work advice, and then I'll jump in after. All right. Well, I'm looking at this. You asked about a crown of success spell, and there are many ways to do mm -hmm. crown of success spells. They can be done as uh, a candle magic. They can be done... Um, as a sugar or honey jar, they can be done as a foot track spell. And I'm going to um, give you an idea here of a couple of ways to work. First of all, I do like the idea of doing a honey jar for all of those people in the hierarchy who are responsible for okaying the funding. So do you know who they are? Do you know their names? Um. Yes, kind of. Okay. Well, you're going to go find their names because you're going to get their names and you're going to write their names, each name on a separate slip of paper, like the size and shape of a Chinese fortune cookie slip. Now, you can use sugar or honey. It doesn't matter to me which one you use. Some people prefer honey, some prefer sugar. And you're going to write these names and you're going to put them in a little paper envelope and you're going to put into that paper envelope also some dandelion, some dried jasmine flower, of course dried dandelion, um, perhaps an, a dried azalea leaf, a dried white rose, more dandelion, and a bay leaf. And uh, you're going to put that all in there with those people's names. And you're going to put in uh, your wish. You're succinctly state what you want. I like to, rather than use an envelope, I used to actually use the, I like to use the paper that I write my petition on and then fold it up and make it into the envelope that contains all of these moving parts. Put that into your honey or sugar and 
um, put the lid on, and you're going to light a candle on it. candle that you can use could either be um, yellow for uh, victory, it could be purple for power, or it could be green for money. So I would prefer yellow, that you use a yellow candle, because yellow means gold in European magic, and you are looking for money here. And I would use Crown of Success oil and also a little bit of Pay Me oil. Pay Me is, you know, to have them pay you money, right? You could um, use... um, Crown of Success oil and Pay Me? Yes, Pay Me for money. Okay. You could could also use... (laughs) I'm sorry, say that again? At first, when you said pay, it sounded like you said bay, and then... Oh, no, no, pay, like P-A-Y, give me the money, pay me. Pay me my money down. Um, and Or you could use money drawing, but I really think pay you is what they... You want You want money in your account, you know, you want... I want them to pay my tuition, yes. Yeah, right. So pay me plus crown of success. And... Um, you're going to put that on the candle. You just burn small candles. These could be um, little four-inch candles. You just burn burn them down. Burn them at least three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, that's a good rhythm to establish as you work with them. Any work that you're going to do to turn in paperwork, now it'll be turned in electronically, but I want you to print it out any applications, any forms, print those out and put them under the honey jar, okay? And another thing you can do is this outfit has a logo of some sort, right? There's a, the organization has a, a, a logo, does it not? Like the school or the... Yeah, the school. Um, does. Yeah, the school must have a logo, some sort of branding. Or, or the person that I'm trying to get funding from. No, I'm talking about the school. The school okay. that you want to go to must have a logo or branding of some sort. Yes, they do. Okay. I want you to put that under the honey jar, okay, uh, along with any paperwork that you filled out, letters of, of you've written or whatever it is. Put that all under the honey jar and burn those candles, okay? So um, I'm going to see what uh, Contraman has to add here. Yeah, you've got some fantastic advice here. I think that it's really, really good. I would highly recommend um, working with some type of Crown of Success mojo bag that works wonders. You say you have Crown of Success, but I'm not sure you're saying Crown of Success oil, Crown of Success spell kit. What do you have? What is it? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, do you have the Crown of Success spell kit or Crown of Success oil? What exactly do you mean you say I have crown of I didn't success, know what to honey. buy because it was like so much, and um, <laughs> and I was trying to. It was like this is like important to um focus on the issue, and you know, and the guy that I got the advice on the forum, he's actually online today. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. Oh great! Okay. So look, crown of success is exactly what you're looking for here. What I would recommend is definitely fashioning a mojo bag around it. But first, start off with a bath. Get yourself a nice cleansing bath. 13 herb bath is going to be really good here. And the reason I say that is whenever we endeavor in situations that require some type of money or require some type of love, you want to remove any entanglements or delays that might be caused by past conditions or issues. 
with a nice 13 herb bath. Then follow the instructions that were laid out by Ms. Cat. I also recommend that you get yourself some road opener oil. You're going oh, to be dealing with the bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is all about paperwork, and it's all about filing this form. Uh-oh. Are we still here? Hello? Uh-oh. Still there you are. Hello? Still hear me? Oh, we lost him. Road opener oil. Yeah. Oh, hear me? Hello? There we- hello? Hello? Am I still uh, here? No, can everyone hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we can yeah, we can hear you now. Something went wrong there for a moment. Um yeah, just but let's quickly wrap it up because we we're gonna get to the free spell. But um yes. so road opener oil. Yes, road opener oil on orange candle. Good luck with that and all the best. We're gonna turn this over to our announcements and then we're gonna come in with our free spell. Okay. L M C you're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Sundays, 3 to 4.30, Mystics, Mages, and Magical Places with Reverend Art and Reverend James, Mondays, 4 to 5.30, The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, Thursdays, 1 to 2, and Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8, all time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern. All of our shows are available in archives at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com, where you will see them listed by title and episode and with clickable links. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Love that tune. And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California. Take it away, Miss Cat. All right. What I'm going to bring you this uh, time is what I'm calling a meaningful spring bouquet. Now, there are many flowers that bloom in spring, but I've picked seven of them that are fairly common throughout North America. And can be had um, in some cases from florists. And I mean even not just fancy florists, but some of those grocery store florists too. Now remember that due to air transport, you can have fall flowers in the spring and you can have um, you know, spring flowers in the winter because they ship them in. But what I'm working with here are the real spring flowers of North America, not all of them native to North America, but very common in North American uh, gardens. So these seven spring flowers, which you can choose, make a meaningful bouquet. You don't need all seven, of course, but a bouquet usually includes at least three different colors or three different species of flowers. And you can also choose a big bunch of one flower, either all the same color or in a variety of colors. So number one, daffodil. To most people, daffodil symbolizes rebirth, new beginnings, and the coming of spring because it's among the first hardy perennials to bloom after the cold of winter. 
However, its name in Greek and Latin is Narcissus, and it was named for Narcissus, the beautiful but foolish son of a river god. It said one day Narcissus bent down to look in the water, saw his own lovely reflection, and drowned while trying to embrace it. And the nodding head of the Narcissus flower presents his downward gaze, and the word narcissistic describes his self-absorption. So it's great for spring, but it's a little narcissistic. Fern, as I mentioned before, is a filler but it's very, very good. It's not a flower. appears in many bouquets as a symbol of magical fascination, humility, modest confidence, safe shelter, sincerity, secret bonds of love, new life, and new beginnings. It reproduces by spores and bears neither flowers nor seed, so it's associated with gender non-binary planet Mercury and the element of air. And you can use it in, um, in bouquets. You can also plant living ferns on top of a spell packet in a uh, potted plant for conjugal love and protection and safety. You can put dried fern leaves and scatter them about. Hyacinth. Hyacinth is another beautiful spring flower. grows from a bulb, symbolizes game, sports, play, rash behavior, and same-sex love. So now let's just look at that. We just already had two things that were gender non-binary and same-sex, so now we could have hyacinth and fern. You've already made a message there, you know. Um Hyacinth was a Spartan prince, Hyacinthus, and he was the lover of the Greek god Apollo, deity of music, poetry, art, archery, and healing. And um, uh, accidentally, Apollo killed him. It's a long, sad story. Pink hyacinth brings romance and games and play. Red hyacinth is sexual playfulness. Yellow is jealousy masquerading as play. Blue hyacinth is constant love. And white is I'll pray for you. And purple hyacinth means I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Iris symbolizes female wisdom, valor, trust. This is Queen Elizabeth root. Name means rainbow. It comes in many colors. And as I mentioned before, the yellow iris is in the tarot card of temperance, and the rainbow is found in the ten of cups. And the iris represents female genitalia. And Oris root, Queen Elizabeth root, is a name, a power curio for women. And a bouquet of irises says, my compliments, your friendship means so much to me. Lilac is the next one, a hardy, fragrant spring-flowering shrub native to Europe and Eurasia. It symbolizes the first emotions of love, but it also is the meaning of an old love or lost love that returns. And so it's sometimes called a flower appropriate for widows to grow in the front yard and to bring home as a cut flower. Its fragrance is very strong. Pussy willow, soft, fuzzy, gray male flowers called catkins, which appear before the leaves. So now we have something very male. But willow is associated with the moon and has medical healing powers as an analgesic. While cats, what is called pussy willow, cats are also considered to be lunar in nature. And so the pussy willow is a sure sign of um, really uh, return of spring, recovery from illness, and so forth. Um, Now, strangely enough, Shiva, you're going to have to put the next one because my page on my screen just went to dead. Ah, there we go. The tulip is our last one. The tulip is a symbol of perfect of a perfect lover. They come in many mm-hmm. colors. Yellow is good cheer, sunshine in your smile. Red tulip is passion, believe me. Pink tulip is friendship, you're sweet. Burgundy tulip stands for respect, I admire you. And the purple tulip tells of fame and honor, you rule my heart. And the variegated tulip is I am lost in the gaze of your beautiful eyes. So these are seven flowers um, that can be used to make a bouquet. This is so cool. I I love that there's a whole 
what we're looking at is a whole language of meaning. It is a language. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Hence the language of flowers, right? That's what it's called. That's what language it is. Of but yeah. you can see, and this is this is what you were what you were talking about earlier. Um, is you can see that there's a divinatory component to it, but there's also a magical. I mean, this is a great way of conveying power. You can create this bouquet in your house, and it fixes the house. It fixes a room. When we talk about fixing a room, this is what we mean. Whether it's the laying down of powders, the lighting of incense, or setting up something magical like this, a bouquet. It can also be a gift. Like the the endless possibilities for sneaky tricks or for just conveying love, and you can be very upfront about it. Like this represents this, and this symbolizes this. This is why I picked that. Like I said, up your flower game. This is amazing <laughs> that you're able to convey meaning that way. And you can, and I mean, I can see this. If you're trying to date someone, what an amazing way of showing them your meaning through these flowers. I've picked these. For you, thank you, Miss Cat, for this fantastic discussion and for this really great presentation on floriography and the language of flowers. Uh, it's always a treat to have you join us as a guest. We're going to turn this over to our announcer, who is going to lead us out, and then we're going to come back with some final goodbyes. Thank you, Conjurman, and thank you, Nagashiva Ironwood, and thank you to Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when our special guest from the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers will be Miss Robin of robinsmojo.com in Northern California, bringing us the topic of water scrying. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Nagashiva Ironwood online at luckymojo.com in Forestville and Conjurman at conjurmanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Reverend Art, joining you from FolkConjure.com in North Carolina. The Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available and archived via LuckyMojo.com forward slash radio show dot html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at the same time when you'll hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thanks, everybody, and good night. Well, somebody should talk. If it's Thank not contraband, I guess all... it'll be me. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, there you Hello? are. Yep. What? Oh, we're trouble. having weird tech problems that you can barely hear me. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Reverend Art, and Thank you, all the wonderful people, for making this show possible. Don't forget about the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. That is coming up. Tickets are on sale. You want to sign up for this. You do not want to miss this fantastic weekend full of spells, knowledge, divination from all of your favorite root workers. So be sure to check out the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. Thank you, Ms. Kat, for joining us as a special guest today. So fun having you talk about choreography. Thank you to Nagashiva Shiva and to Resident Art. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank you for joining us on a Sunday afternoon. I hope that you have a fantastic, fantastic week. Remember to light your candles, say your prayers, and to be in community with each other. That's it, and have a fantastic week. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.